The Baseball Lifer Podcast is on the air. Well, hi, everybody. Don Wardlow here, Baseball Lifer in Residence on the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Following last week's episode where we focused on Cooperstown and interviewed Jeff Idelson, former president of the Hall of Fame, it's going to be a little different podcast this week. It's going to be kind of an interview that couldn't have happened 50 years ago because the man I'm going to interview would have had to be underground, and the fewer people who knew him, the better. He styles himself the real stoned genius. And yes, I'm saying stoned, as in this man is into pot besides being a baseball lifer. His name is Roe Martin. And 50 years ago, pot was illegal in every state. It's still illegal in some states, and it certainly should be. But in the state where I live, where I am recording this podcast, it is legal. So if Cheech and Chong were making records today, they wouldn't have a funny material to write about. Their signature piece was an item, a fake game show called Let's Make a Dope Deal, a joke on the old Let's Make a Deal with Monty Hall, where you had door number one, number two, and number three. Behind the correct door was a whole lot of dope. Behind the wrong doors was a whole lot of cops with a whole lot of handcuffs. And the contestant predictably picked the wrong door. Well, that was hysterically funny, especially if you were a teenager or less. But with pot legal in a lot of states now, you couldn't sell a Cheech and Chong record. But Ro Martin, the real stone genius, is going to talk just a little bit about that, mostly about baseball. This is the Baseball Lifer podcast, and Ro Martin is next if you keep it where you got it. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here. And my guest is an interesting fellow, to say the very least, a major baseball fan and a stone genius. In fact, that's how he refers to himself as the real stoned genius. His name is Ro Martin. Ro, welcome. Thank you so much, Don. It's such a pleasure to be here speaking with you today. I'm really excited about this. Well, thank you. The You know, the baseball lifer, you know, that's one kind of nickname and the Stone genius, that takes it to a whole different level. So tell me, are you only a genius when you get stoned or are you a genius all the time? I am a genius all the time. Well, (laughs) my wife may debate that sometimes. So I I am a a member of a couple of international uh, high IQ societies, and I kind of joined them just so I could talk about stuff that my wife and other people don't really like to talk about. So it, it's a, it's it's fun to do that. And then the stone part of it came on, and I'd mentioned this to you earlier just a few years ago. I'm 55, but I didn't start smoking until I was 47. I did it for arthritis, and it, it made a dramatic difference in my life and my everyday living. So so I just kind of combined the two. I, I, I made sure that being a genius every day came along with being stoned every once in a while. In Missouri, when you took up smoking pot for your arthritis, was that legal then? It was not legal then. 
I did what I needed to. I figured if I ever needed to go in front of 12 people to say why I did something, uh, that would be a, a, a pretty easy one for me to to sell to them. I, I, I cared more about my physical well-being. I was in so much pain from my arthritis that it made a world of difference. And I was very anti-marijuana up until probably that time. I just grew up in the 70s. My parents was bad, 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 bad. But the first time I tried it, I was in Colorado, which was legal there at the time. And it made such a difference in such a short amount of time to my arthritis. I immediately became a believer. So uh, to, I I just want to say I'm glad that it is now legal recreationally here in Missouri, because uh, then I don't have to worry about that question you just asked me. Right. The only two times I tried it, I was a college boy. I mean, it was. Right. It was the semester when my, my dad was was nearly dying, and I knew soon he was going to be gone, and I was just filled with college boy angst about not only college, but about how am I going to make it without my dad, who right. really, dad, dad taught me what integrity was before I even knew the word. Right. He taught me how to work hard. Too many of us don't work hard. Too many of us are not pushed. To work hard and push is what my dad did when it needed doing to right. see that I was a hard worker. And the only two times I tried smoking pot, it made me hungry and stupid. And I said, well, now I can be hungry and stupid without illegal drugs. Right. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm yeah, sure you've it, heard a lot of that around, you know, in your life. I have. It's made a lot of changes, I think, from and I didn't try it when I was younger, when I was in high school, that was the mid 80s. And I didn't try it back then. But, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, I don't want to get the munchies. And there's actually strains out there that can pre prevent you from doing that. It can actually suppress your appetite or it can help you be more bubbly or if you need help sleeping. So there are a lot of things out there, but it's it's an interesting it's something interesting. It's not for everyone. I I am a big fan of it, but I'm only a big fan of it for myself. Everyone has to make that their own individual decision on that. This is the Baseball Lifer podcast with the Stone Genius, Ro Martin. And Ro, how did you come to take a liking to baseball to to a point where you know you're a, a real good fan and you feel that you'd want to be a guest on a, a show called the Baseball Lifer? Well, you know, and it's just as you mentioned your father earlier, my dad was amazing. So when we, we moved to Kansas City from Florida in 1969, which was the year the Royals came to town. So it was a, a huge deal. I vaguely remember going to old municipal stadium downtown, which closed in 72, which the summer of 72, I would have been four years old. I wouldn't have turned five till the till September of that summer or that year uh, when it closed down. But I vaguely remember being at Municipal Stadium and asking my dad, why are we sitting behind a post? <laughs> and, you know, and then I remember the year I I remember. So the next year, 73, is when Royal Stadium, now Kauffman Stadium, opened. And I remember going to a game out there. And they gave the little Royals patch that they wore on their sleeve. It was a baseball with the KC logo in it. And I remember them giving that away their inaugural season. Um, 
So there are a lot of things that I remember. My dad used to go and hit ball shag. I would be shagging flies and he would just hit ball after ball. He would wear a glove on one hand and, and then have the bat on the other and just swing with one hand to be hitting me fly balls. And, you know, I just grew up and I grew up in a great era of baseball. I grew up, you know, we're, we're going to talk here about like some of our favorite players and, and, and uh, of that of our favorite heirs and mine's really from like 75 to 85 that would have been like me from 8 to 18 years old and um to me that was such a great time for baseball there there weren't a lot of great teams back then it seemed like there were but it was very the the playoffs were very limited and so you you saw the same teams it seemed like every year but it was just an amazing time to grow up as a kid and watch and go see baseball now, from my perspective, as a passionate Yankee fan, you rooted for the bad guys. Other, well, than, no. other than the Red Sox, I, I really, really disliked the Royals in those years because especially George Brett just pounded Yankee pitching. Even if the Yankees won in the end, Brett, Brett gave him a beating. Yeah. Yeah, and I will tell you that I was a huge Yankees fan because Steinbrenner's from Tampa, which is my hometown. So spring training and things like that. So when I was back in Tampa, it would always be about – I've gone to uh, Legends Field or Steinbrenner Field, I think it's called now, which was the their oh, – was their Class A. It's the Tampa Turpins now, but it used to be the Tampa Yankees. And uh, so I've been – I was a huge Yankees fan. And I will tell you – because I was in Kansas City when those two teams would, would play, I was definitely rooting for the Royal. And I remember even the way I was laying on the couch watching the TV during the Pine Tar game. I remember Brett coming flying off the bench for that. So, you know, we were probably watching the same games at the same times, just rooting for different teams. 1976, I was 13 years old. And I went to bed in the middle of game five, Yankees-Royals, and I had the tape recorder going, and I'm sure glad I did. I went to bed, but through the wall, I could hear my dad's TV playing, and in the eighth inning, Brett hit the three-run home run, and silently, I said a lot of words a 13-year-old shouldn't be saying. And, right. I, and I went to bed. I figured that's it. They're never going to win. That, that guy's going to kill us. And only to find out. And the tape still held out. Thank goodness. I was able to hear Mark Littell's home run, as, as Bill White called it on the Yankee Network. It was so that Chris Chambliss home run off of Mark Littell, as called by Bill White. And that was so exciting. That was a wonderful playoff game. There have been better played since then but that's one of the most memorable in my time and, and it's great too when you have that emotional connection like sometimes I see a great game but I don't really care who wins I'm like oh that was a good game you know but when you have that emotional connection where every pitch every foul tip your 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 heart you know it jumps or it sinks it, it, it's kind of dramatic and you know you and I when we're talking about the Royals when I was growing up, the four teams that could make up an all-star, just all-stars galore, were the the Reds, the A's, the Yankees, and the Royals. The, those four teams kind of dominated the 70s for me. And, you know, I really could have – I wanted to challenge you and see if you were able to come up with basically an all-star team, but you were unable to use two players from the same team. 
which makes it very difficult because I could have done, you know, I could have just chosen the Cincinnati Reds of 70, any early 70s and, and been fine with that whole team. Um, so, yeah, it was it was such a great time to, to love baseball then. And, you know, I got mine in 77 and 78 when my Yankees won. And you got yours the year you were 18, 1985. Royals went the distance. Yeah, and that that was so much fun with um, just recently the, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl again. So they had the big parade. And I did not attend that. I'm not a Chiefs fan, but I did attend that Royals parade in 1985. It wasn't so much because I was a Royals fan, which I was at the time, but it was more about just skipping school that day. Absolutely. It was, it was still a ton of fun. So it, it's still memories uh, that I had. I mean, I, I still remember bits and pieces of that parade. So that was a lot of fun. And much later, after his playing days were over, I actually met George Brett. I actually met Darth Vader himself. And I had to put on my smiley face and, you know, be nice to him. <laughs> but you it, know, I, it, was I fun. Also, it was fun meeting him, no matter how much I didn't root for him as a fan. After I got out of high school, I got to work for a gentleman who uh, grew up being best friends with Ewing Kaufman, who was the founder of the Royal. So there were times where I had to go to the games with Jack, the, the guy that I worked for, and I would – Ewing was ill at the time, but I would sit with Mariel Kaufman, the owner's wife, and then uh, we sold electronics. And so a lot of the Royals, George Brett, uh, David Cohn, um, uh, uh, Brett Saberhagen, they were all to come in. They would buy uh, TVs or satellite dishes and things. So I, I even got – it was funny. I remember a uh, picture – uh, for the Royal. And I remember him just because his name was so similar to mine. Mine's Rodney Martin and his name was Reenie Martin, R-E-N-I-E, -E, I believe. And he came in, he was playing for the Royals at the time and he went to buy something and filled out a credit app. And it was to me at the time, it was funny because the employer was Kansas City Royals and position, you know, usually it's sales or office. His was pitcher. So it was just kind of, it was interesting filling out a credit app for someone that was a professional athlete. I'm sure it was. Talking with Ro Martin on the Baseball Lifer podcast. His podcast is called The Real Stoned Genius, and that can be gotten wherever good podcasts can be found. And, Ro, something you asked me to do is put together a, a all-star baseball team from my decade, and unfortunately I forgot the fact that I wasn't supposed to use two guys from the same team. Now, how many pitchers am I allowed to have? So I, so the way, and I just kind of threw it out there, and I thought we could just kind of talk through this because it is difficult. So I had, so basically, I had catcher. Uh, so I had all the fielding positions. Then I just had a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher. And oh. the problem that I had going seventy-five to eighty-five, like I said, the Reds, I could have used Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, Dave Concepcion. Uh, Pete Rose, uh, uh, George Fox. I mean, I could have used Tom Seaver. I mean, I could just rattle. And I, I wasn't even a fan of the Reds, you know. It, it, and so that's what makes it a, li a little bit more challenging. But let me hear your all-star team because I want to see how many of the – now, I will tell you, Don, I had to do a little cheating here. And My biggest cheat was when I wanted to include Reggie Jackson, but I already had Angels and Yankees, so I had to use his one year from the Orioles. But I – 
I think I still stayed within my own parameters. Okay, well, my pitchers, I don't have, well, I, I do have one relief pitcher, and he's Tug mm -hmm. McGraw, uh, but my starting pitchers are Tom Seaver, Steve Carlton, and Don Sutton. My mm -hmm. my catcher was going to be Johnny Bench. I'll take him out and put in Bob Boone because Joe Morgan is at second base, and I cannot move him, not with right. the truck can I move him. Right. Uh, my first baseman is Willie Stargell. My shortstop kind of by default is Bud Harrelson. My third baseman is Mike Schmidt. Uh, Willie Stargell. Did I did I just put him on first? Yeah, you put him on first. Okay, because I'm I'm short a left fielder then. I have right fielder Dave Parker and center fielder Jimmy Wynn. And I really don't uh -huh. have a right a left Man, fielder. Man, I didn't even think of Jimmy Wynn. And the toy so cannon. I loved him as the, with the Astros, man. Ugh. And, and that's the hard thing is that, you know, unless you go back, I mean, you know, that's 40 years ago for us that we're talking about. And unless you go back and really study, there are people that you just won't come to mind. I mean, yeah. Ah, oh, Jim Wynn. Yeah. You know, now, full, full disclosure, he was the only one that I had to go into the computer the others all jumped out of my head, but I had to look back in the computer for historic center fielders, and Jimmy Wynn was right up there. Yeah, yeah. And so what I – so I actually just put outfielders. So I did not give you probably a full disclosure of – I guess when I was doing it. So I'll give you my National League first because I actually – Yeah, go for it. So – uh, and a couple of these, like I said, I had to move them around because sometimes you'll be like, they played for that team. Um, but Gary Carter, I have him a catcher when he was with the Expos. Uh, I had to put Rose at first with the Phillies because um, I couldn't put him with the Expos. And just like you said, there's no way anyone is bumping Joe Morgan off second base in the 1970s. Um, so I had Rose at first uh, with the Phillies, Morgan at second with the Reds. Here's another cheat. I did love him a lot, but you had a default uh, at shortstop. I actually put Gary Templeton with the Car Cardinals before him and Ozzie Smith traded places. Um, the outfield, I had Dave Winfield with the Padres, Reggie Smith with the Dodgers, my all-time favorite player, eh, top two. Dave Parker I had in right field. And then my pitchers for the National League were J.R. Richard for the Astros and Al Roboski with the Braves. And, you know, I forgot Winfield played left field with the Padres. And I even, yeah, I even met Winfield later. Uh, I know that he, you have a podcast that references him. And I will tell you that was my trigger to put him on the Padres because I never think of him as a Padre. I think of him as a Yankee. And my American League now, um, I've got some pitchers. I've got Jim Palmer and Ron Guidry, and oh, uh, can't perfect. can't can't remove Guidry. No way. And I forgot about the two players in the same team rule because I got Sparky Lyle coming out of the bullpen. Right. Uh, my catcher sadly had to be uh, Carlton Fisk. I wanted it to be Munson. He, but he was killed in a plane crash, and he really 
he didn't live long enough to build the stats that would have pushed Fisk out of there, but it had right. to be Fisk. Um, Chris Chambliss at first, Bobby Gritch at second, Mark Belanger at short, and Greg Nettles at third, with an outfield of Jim Rice, Reggie, Reggie Jackson, and Freddie Lynn. Oh, those are great picks. So, so on mine, once again, I had to do some playing around because I vaguely remember him being with the Brewers, but since the Brewers were an American League team and I needed a Brewer and a catcher, I put Daryl Porter at catcher, even though I'll always remember him with the Royals. Um, first base I had with Dave Parker, my favorite in the American League of all time was Rod Carew. Uh, I have him with the Angels. I got Willie Randolph at second base. I do like your Bobby Gritch and Mark Belanger turning that double play, though. But I have Willie Randolph and then one of my favorites growing up, shortstop Burt Campanaris. Ah, Dagoberto. Uh, yeah. And then I do have Brett at third. And then in the outfield, I have Jackson with his one year with the Orioles. And then I have, uh, just like you, I have Fred Lynn. I loved Fred Lynn. Just amazing uh, player, but I have Ron LaFleur. He was one of the first guys that I remember really stealing a lot of bases, and I really liked his swagger. So I have Ron LaFleur from the Tigers in the outfield. And then my pitchers, if I wouldn't have thought of Fred Lynn there at the end, I actually had Sparky Lyle as my relief pitcher, but coming out of uh, the Red Sox before he came to the Yankees. Yeah, and I know that's a little bit of cheating, but it, once I put Fred Lynn in there, uh, I – I struggled for a reliever, so I put Jim Kern of the Rangers, but my starting pitcher was Burt Blylevin of the Twins. Oh, one of the best curveballs in the game. Yeah. So, and I was a big Blylevin fan that in our family was from Florida before we moved to Kansas City. So during spring training, a lot of the teams played down there in the Tampa area. And so my parents knew Burt Blylevin, and I think they saw him throw a – I, I always want to say, but no one ever threw – well, it was a different era back then. I want to say no one threw complete games during spring training, but I could have sworn they told me that they saw Burt Blylevin throw a, uh, a no-hitter during a spring training game down there. But for some reason, I was always a, a Blylevin fan, and, and I couldn't take him out of that rotation. And the great, the wonderful Chris Berman used to call them Burt Behome Blylevin. Kansas City, uh, their Hall of Famer in the booth, was and presumably still is Denny Matthews. Tell me yeah. uh, any any thoughts you had about him. He was who you listened to growing up. Yeah, and you know, my dad was the type of guy that he would go to the game and be there sitting there live, but still have his transistor radio in his pocket, his shirt pocket with an earbud in, what what we call earbuds now, but a little, a little earpiece listening to the play-by-play. Um, a lot of times, even when I was watching it, and one reason I love being a, um, uh, uh, doing podcasts is I used to, I like to announce that my own games. So I would actually turn the volume down on the TV and I would announce what was going on. So I always thought that was a lot of fun because in the seventies, we didn't have video games. We didn't have a lot of distractions. So we had to make our own distractions. And that was always one of my distractions is being able to, to be the, the play by play guy or the color guy for, for whatever sport I was watching at the time. 
And that's what I was doing before I turned pro. I would go to Yankee Stadium or Shea with a recorder and some and a radio to listen to and some headphones. And I would recreate what I was hearing from the booth upstairs. And amazingly, nobody said they wanted to kill me because I was ruining their good time. Right. Yeah. And that and that's what's so fun. I mean, it's it it's so changed going to the ballpark now. I mean, I just remember and when I look at old pictures from the 70s, you know, everyone's dressed up wearing a hat. Guys are wearing their their shirt sleeve, short sleeve dress shirts with their ties to the games and things like that. And uh, it just seems like a, it's a different atmosphere when you go out there now. I don't go to as much baseball as I used to. Um, even though we're in Kansas City, I'm not a gigantic Royals fan. The, usually the time that we go to the games is we go to the Rays games when they play at the uh, at a Kauffman Stadium. So when Tampa comes to town, we usually would go out there and watch them play. I'm a huge Rays fan. Um, I just don't get to see them in person as much as I'd like. The Rays are amazing. They they do so much with so little to work with. They were, have a terrible stadium, and and yet they were in the World Series and they were fairly close to winning the 2020 World Series. So here's an interesting note. You mentioned how horrible that stadium is, and I am in 100% agreement. So the last time that I lived in the Tampa area was 2005, and this is the, the Rays were woefully bad at that point. And they even have trouble when they're doing well pulling a crowd. It doesn't seem like in St. Petersburg where the stadium's located, no one's really from Florida. Everyone's from Detroit. Boston, New York City, they're all uh, snowbirds or transplants uh, to that area. So when those teams come to town, it's a sellout. But when the Royals come to town, you would get, you know, a few thousand people. And I was working with a company and we had a, uh, a suite there. And so they would always say they couldn't give the suite away. None of our clients wanted the suite. So they would always tell me, hey, if you want to go to the, I was a trainer and they go, Hey, if you want to take your training class, you can go. And it, sometimes I would take them. Sometimes I would. And, and one night I went and I went by myself and I couldn't even find anyone that would go to a baseball game and sit in a suite with. Me. So I went by myself and there was a foul ball that went down the left field line, which is what I was seating on. There were so few fans at the game. I was able to leave the suite and just casually walk down there and pick the ball up and go back to the suite. And that's just amazing. You'd think there'd be a scrum. There certainly would at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, there would be. And and that's what's amazing because people, I think they looked at it and they'd be like, I'll get the next one. It was just, and that stadium is horrible. The fewer the fans, the, the worse it is. I remember, you know, trying to be like I was in grade school or junior high going, hey, bad, 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 swing. And I swear that a couple of times the guy stepped out of the box and looked directly at me because there would just echo inside that stadium. We've been talking with Ro Martin, and his podcast is The Real Stoned Genius. You can get it where all good podcasts can be found. And Ro, thanks a lot for joining me on the program. I I had so much fun, Don. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you. It really has. Hey, let me ask you. So from the 70s, who was your favorite manager back then? Billy Martin, no, no question. I had a feeling you were going to say that. I was going to say the same exact thing. So, 
That's absolutely. A- he yeah. was he he was incredible. He he and you know you can't have a Billy Martin today because of this umpire review. Everything is getting reviewed, so there's no more you know dirt kicking umpire confrontations like Tom Lasorda had, Billy Martin had, or a Weaver had. They're all gone. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you know, and those Chuck Tanner was another one who I loved. I remember seeing him there in those old '79 hats with the black pants and the yellow shirt, standing on the top, top step of the dugout. But yeah, Billy Martin was. Uh, I, I figure that as much with you being such a huge Yankees fan that at least one of the many times that Billy Martin was your manager that you would have been in love with him. So I loved him though. He, he, I liked his fiery personality. Roe Martin's been our guest. Back with a wrap-up in a minute on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here, and thanks again to Roe Martin, the real stoned genius himself, for joining us and rapping a little about baseball. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention during the opening, but I did the opening in one take, and that was such a surprise to me that I forgot what I meant to mention during the opening, and that is this. I didn't get an answer to the trivia question from last week, so I'll tell you what the answer was. The question was, who was the first president to visit Cooperstown? And this was a great surprise to me because I thought FDR, when the Hall of Fame was opened, I thought he might have been there. I thought possibly Kennedy, who was known to be a sports fan, possibly Bill Clinton, who on a home run call, he was doing a guest appearance and the ball went over the fence and he said, go, baby. Talk show hosts made jokes about that go, baby, from sea to shining sea for the rest of Clinton's term in office. But it wasn't him, wasn't any of the above. The president who first went to Cooperstown to visit was Barack Obama. We've had a good opening to the baseball season. I mean, yes, it's a short sample, of course, but since the season opened last week, the games are going along much more quickly. The average is about a half hour less than the games of the first week of last baseball season. So the average is about two hours and 45 minutes, and there are a good many games that are coming in under that, coming around 220, 215. Somebody even was under two hours. I believe it was the Marlins. It was the one nothing game where Sandy Alcantara pitched a shutout for the Marlins. So quicker games are coming back, and stolen bases are making a big comeback. So all in all, I'm real happy with baseball 2023, more so than I have felt about baseball over the last decade when the games have become more and more unlistenable, even to a fanatic like myself. Next week, we're going to bring on a lady who ran into some bad trouble where baseball was concerned. The conference that she was working for was considering dropping baseball altogether. Her name is Monique A.J. Smith. We're going to talk to her next week. So hope you join us and hope you have a good week. Bye now. (laughs) 